we start a new sermon series titled Keeping Your Promises, all right? Uh, are, you good about, are you good about keeping your promises? For the most part? So, <laughs> listen, since there's only a few of us today here, we're going to have a little bit of fun here, okay? No, I'm just kidding. If you're visiting, you're like, oh, man, is this when I leave? Yes, no. Um, no, but it's simply an entire sermon series on the idea of our responsibility on both generosity and stewardship, okay? What is generosity? It's the quality of being kind and generous, or the quality or fact of being plentiful and large, or large. What is stewardship? Stewardship is something that we drive here at Greater Life Church because we believe that we're not owners of anything. We're only stewards. That goes for leadership. That goes for believers as individuals. You are a steward, not an owner. The definition of stewardship is the job of supervising or taking care of something, usually something that doesn't belong to you. You follow me? I want us to understand that the reason why God calls us to be gener generous stewards is because we are handling a lot of things that are not ours. Talents, finances, relationships, a lot of things as individuals have been given to us as believers in Christ that we're called to be good stewards of. Amen? We believe that God is calling people that would be generous stewards, not stingy owners. Okay? You stingy owner? No. No, you're not. <laughs> because we all tend to fall into one of those two categories. Whether we sit here today and believe that you're not either of them, I believe that a generous steward mentality is required in order to manage the business of God. In other words, if I come to this place as the lead pastor of this church and I say to myself, this is what I own, God has given it to me, therefore now I have ownership of that, okay? I can really take this thing down the wrong path. But if you realize that every single thing you have has been given to you, then you understand that your job is more stewardship than ownership, okay? And in that, we're going to squeeze generosity, all right? So we know that God isn't stingy. He's not a stingy owner. In the contrary, the one that owns it gives us freely and is constantly being generous with us. However, he is still the owner. So from this angle of generosity and stewardship, we're going to be looking in the, last, in the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at four fun things. Today, we're going to be looking at time. Next week, we're going to be looking at money. Okay? Not going to be anybody here next week. <laughs> Then we're going to look at family, and then we're going to look at our service, our call, okay? All four things that I believe have been gifted to us from God, that we're not owners of it. Amen? Today we have the great joy of kicking things off with time. Your promise of time, okay? Something that I, I love talking about because I see time as the ultimate calibrator, Okay? It serves as a balanced tool to measure true accuracy of our lives. You want to know why? Because we all have access to the same amount of it. You can't say, well, you have more than I do. Okay? We all have the same amount. That's not true for our money. Right? Bank accounts in this room look different. Amen? 
<laughs> well, it's like, if you want me to say it, I'll say it. Amen. <laughs> Time is one of those things that is known as the most valuable thing that we all have. I, I remember sitting in front of a room with the, with the CEO of a company. We were in a large conference room table, and he caught me off guard, and he looked at me. This was years ago. Okay, he says, what is the most valuable thing you have, Moises? And I'm sitting there like, I don't know, you know, my house. He's like, no, your time. You can't buy any more of it. You can't get any more of it. It's what you have is what you have, you know? We all get that daily allowance that I spoke about a few weeks ago of 1,440 minutes a day. And when the day is done, it's gone. We just all spend it differently, don't we? So as we look at generosity and stewardship today, I would, I, I, it would be wrong for us not to consider the topic of time as it is one of the things that, that we value the most. Or in, in essence, whether we prioritize it or not, it is one of the most valuable things you and I carry. Okay? Now, and when talking about time, what is one of the most repetitive things you hear people say? There's not enough of it. There's not enough of it. But think for a second. And I know how you mean it, but think of what a huge contradiction that could be. Because in essence, when you say that there's not enough time available to you, if God gives us all the same amount of time and we get to spend it as we like to spend it, then the problem is not that God failed to give us instead of 24 hours in a day, he should have gave us 27 hours in a day. The problem is that we failed to use it the way God intended for us to use it, all right? So we, we, we start with this statement, and I want you to realize this statement today. I, I threw a bunch of stuff up on the screen because I want you to engage in this, you know? We all have enough time to do the things that God wants us to do. If you wake up every morning or anytime you're stressed out about time or any, at any moment in your life, you say to yourself, man, it's just going to be a busy one today. We all have enough time to do the things that God wants us to do. That's a statement. That's not in question. That's not up for grabs. That's not, that's not a changing statement. That is a statement for itself. In other words, if there isn't enough time in your day for something, then God may never have intended you to do it in the first place. All right? We good there? Okay? Based on that statement, we would apply something that we say here often in this church, and it is... It's not him, it's you. We start there. All right? We're going to be in Luke chapter 10. This is a very popular story. We're going to be reading verse 38 to 42. I have the scripture on the screen. Jesus pays a visit to Martha and Mary. All right? Here we go. Luke 10, 38 to 42. You can follow me with your scripture or I'll have it up on the screen. Here we go. As Jesus and his disciples and the disciples continue on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he thought. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister is just sitting there, sitting here while I do all the work? Tell her to come up and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. 
Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. You know, when you originally read this story, and this is kind of like a fun story to talk about, okay? But when you read this story, a lot of us in the room may think, at least to me, you know, I, I won't throw you in that bucket with me, okay? When I read this story, Mary actually seems annoying to me. Personally, if I just, you know, if I'm open and, and with you this morning, is I would see Mary and she would aggravate me, personally. A lot of us that are in the work field and, and are involved in getting the job done, Mary just seems the type of person that would kind of get under our skin. We sympathize with Martha. Don't we? Everybody's nodding their head like, yeah. Mary would be the person that's like, get up and do something. Don't you see us sitting here working? I sympathize with Martha. If I would have been there, I would have been like, Jesus, don't you see it? I want to listen too. But who's going to get dinner ready? You know? And it's an interesting concept to look at because a lot of us, this is why the story is so important, is because a lot of us sympathize with Martha who the story shows to have a problem or missing something or lacking something. You follow that? Okay. So a lot of us say to ourselves, Martha, she's doing the right thing. I like how she, you know, this Meyer girl needs to get with it. She's just like, you know, she's not getting it. So I want to start by asking you a question in the room. Who here wakes up in the morning and says, I like to be busy all day? There you go. There's a few people. And, 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 and what if I told you that the solution so this problem of being busy constantly and just not having any room on our time frame, it's not more time, is that some of us have become addicted to being busy. And I'll talk about cell phones here. Rosie, you and I have to talk when we get home here. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just messing with you. Uh, this is going to be fun. When I was listening to her, I'm like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> no, but, you know, what, one of the reasons why cell phones have become so popular is because they're the ultimate time filler, okay? I don't know if, if, if many of us don't watch TV anymore or whatever, but, you know, if you, if you go into my house and, and, and we're, you're watching any sort of live TV, that the concept is that what we do is, is on the commercials, as soon as the action finishes or whatever, we, the first thing we do is pull out our cell phones. In fact, you know, it's known that the most popular concept of Sunday mornings have become this red zone concept, which just gives you the snapshots of the game and it doesn't stop feeding you with information. I currently watch football and if you walk into my home, I'm one of the weird ones that watches the NFL, but if you come into my home and you look at my living room TV, there's four games on the square, okay? And when there's commercials on that one, I'm watching this one, okay? You know, the last NBA game Styles and I watched together, we watched it about an hour later to skip the commercials. Literally, we, we got together an hour later, an hour and a half later, and watched the whole thing, nonstop action, forwarding it, forwarding it. You know what I'm saying? Like, we, we, we all have this tendency. In fact, ESPN just signed a deal. I just read this yesterday. They're going to do this on Saturday for college game day. They're going to start the, the <laughs> there I am, I, yeah, ESPN pay me, okay, that's, that's a commercial for you, but 
but they're going to start this red zone thing concept for college games for the same reason, because people don't want to wait. Okay. And that's what makes this phone so useful is that we could get it out and instantly be entertained and we could get through our shows. It has become almost impossible to, from us to get away from this busy mindset because when we don't have something to do, our first instinct is to fill the slot. And I struggle with this a lot personally. I struggle with it back in the day a lot more than I do now. Actually, Microsoft ran, ran a survey that found that 77% of young adults said yes when asked, when nothing occupying my attention, I pick up my cell phone. 80% of young adults, whenever they're sitting in a room and nothing is occupying their time, their first instinct is to grab their phones and get it out, okay? Taking this principle, it's not so much about what we have going on or what we have to do for the day. There is something about us that pushes us to fill the slot. And changing this is more of a challenging thing than we think. Because in order to begin to eliminate things that we have to do, we have to be content and not afraid of doing nothing. And you're like, you say, Moises, this is retirement. This is what we're all striving for. But is it? Think about it for a second. We become addicted with being busy. It, 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 it's, it's being busy sometimes tells people that you're more purposeful because you get to look at somebody in the eye and say, oh man, I've been busy. You know? Did you know that distractions keep you away from dealing with your biggest demons at times? With your biggest obstacles? It's true. Some people are afraid of silence simply because it causes them to deal with themselves. I told you this before. You sit in a room by yourself and all that's left is you and God. And all of a sudden you start to have to look inward. You know, when there's a room full of people, I can distract myself. Hey, how you been? Tell me a story. What you been up to? You get me in a room by myself, and now I'm like, I got to deal with this guy? And that's a lot more frightening than you think it is. Because we bypass and avoid so many things. I love this study of, of, of Mar Michael Cigarelli. Um, he did for the Charleston Southern University School of Business. He conducted an obstacles to growth survey. Over 20,000 Christians across the globe identified busyness as a major distraction for spiritual life. He listed this hypothesis that I love it. He said, Christians, number one, Christians are assimilating to a church of busy, a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to, number two, becoming more marginalized in our Christian lives which leads to number three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to number four, Christians becoming more and more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to number five, and the cycle repeats itself, a more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. It's an evolving process, and we are all like, like just like blind cattle, just like, you know? Going with the norm, thinking that that's where purpose is found, thinking that our lives are defined by how busy we are, you know, how much we maximize our time. When you tell somebody, I've been working all day, 
And you may look at me today and you say, Moises, my, my, my problem isn't any of this. I just don't have time. We all have time for what we make time for. Okay? All of us are spending our 24-hour daily allotment on something. I was really tired yesterday, and at 9.30, I was asleep. Praise the Lord, man. I'm getting old, and I'm embracing it. <laughs> okay? And then, and then I got that added hour of sleep. I mean, come on. I don't even know what that adds up, but I slept a lot. Guess what? I still woke up in the morning and felt tired. Okay? How we spend those 24 hours is not just something that happens, friends. It is a choice that we're making. The reason why most of us don't have time for what matters most is we, we spend most of our time doing things that don't matter as much. Here we go. You ready? Number one, social media. Here we go. Let's do this. Let's just get through it. Rip the Band-Aid. It'll be over soon. Social media, okay? The average person spends on social media 706 hours per year. I'm sure that's slow. You know what's good? It's that this room is full of above average people, isn't it? All right? We're not just average voices. Don't call me average. I'm not average. Well, the average person spends 706 hours in social media. How much time is 706 hours? Let me just give you, like on an eight-hour workday, if you divide this by the hours you work, it's equivalent to four and a half months of work in a year. Okay? You have time for what you choose to have time for. Amen? Number two, television. You're like, man, I don't even own a TV. Well, we replace a lot of our television viewing with our phone viewing. If I'm not watching something on the TV, I'm probably watching something on my phone, okay? 2,737 hours per year, binge watching our favorite shows, all right? The equivalent to three months of the year, watching TV. You're like, what's wrong with that? That's my happy place, okay. But you have time for what you choose to have time for. Number three. Any gamers in the house? Video games. Oh, boy, they're in the front row. <laughs> it's over now. <laughs> Man, I should have gave you guys a heads up. You might have went to the back for this one. Now, listen, I love video games. My wife knows. <laughs> She's like, mm-hmm. The average guy, by the time they turn 21, has already spent 10,000 hours video gaming. They're like, man, the average, bro, that's low. <laughs> We're breaking records, Ricky said. <laughs> I'm above average. Don't call me average. What do you do with 10,000 hours? You can make 100 grand a year getting paid $10 an hour. <laughs> let that let that marinate for a second if you're an average reader you could read about 2,000 books you could become a concert pianist you could get your pilot's license you could memorize the entire new testament all right you could get your undergraduates and your graduates degree you have time for what you choose to have time for amen so 
the sad news is that we hear all this and we say, man, well, he says, I hear you. All the breakdowns are great. Some of them apply. But after all the explanations, I'm still too busy, man. <laughs> it's not that simple. So I'm giving you all the negative examples. You know, let's look at some positive examples. And if we were to look at any positive examples of time usage, let's look at Jesus, okay? Jesus should be our platform for what we do, and here it is. He had three years of public ministry. Let's talk about his public ministry for a second. He embraced the Father's missions, right? He, he recruited a heavenly team of 12 disciples. He endured the hatred of the Pharisees. He resisted the temptations of the devil. He healed all sorts of sick people and loved all sorts of hurting people. He preached the word of God, and he fulfilled 351 Old Testament prophecies. And you know what we never see Jesus doing? He's never running anywhere. You never see Jesus running anywhere. The Bible just says he walked and he walked and he walked. In fact, people come around him through stories and say, Jesus, this is happening. And he just looks at him, calm, cool, and collected. And said, yep, we'll get to it. You know? I mean, he took it to a whole nother level when it came to urgency. The, the, the guy chooses a donkey for transportation. Come on, man. Think about it, you know? You're like, Jesus, we got to go. And he hops on that donkey. You're like, come on, man. <laughs> Seriously? It would, it would, literally, it doesn't fit our lifestyle. We don't, we don't. I mean, I'm looking. I don't know if you're like me. But when I put the GPS map on there and that thing tells me you will arrive at 331, I'm like, no, I won't. <laughs> We're going to beat that time. You'll see. Rosie knows. She's like, hey, stop. And I'm like, I, I'm just, you know, look, now it's 330. We gain a minute. Let's go. <laughs> Billy's like, yeah, revival is taking place in this place. We're not only to believe what Jesus believed, but also live that he lived. You know, have you ever considered that maybe you weren't wired to live this way? Maybe a lot of the difficult things in our mind that we deal with and the stresses that we face as individuals could be a result of how we're trying to drive our lives and how quickly we're trying to move and how busy we're trying to stay. He lived only 33 years. And in those 33 years, he was called to be perfect and save the entire world. Let that weigh in on you for a second. His mission was to give his life, and he waited 30 years before he initiated his public ministry. We would have been knocking at that door at 16, like, I'm ready to answer my call. At 30 years of age, he is commissioned, and he is baptized to begin this journey of saving the world. And what is the first thing Jesus does? He goes on a sabbatical. Let that sit in. Because if we're not just called to think how he thought, we're called to live as he lived. The Savior of the world, with the weight of the world on his shoulders, gets commissioned into ministry and goes and takes a sabbatical. I mean, a lot of things happen. I get it. You know, you're my Moises, he, I mean, he was being tempted and all kinds of things were happening. But in either way, the picture that we get here. It's that we have our Savior who did everything, who owns everything, but is walking everywhere. It's taking his time. 
almost like we act like life is full of things that God didn't give us enough time to accomplish. We live on a daily basis on a running clock that if we don't maximize the time frame, we won't get it done. And I just have a hard time acknowledging that God's involvement is in all of that. I can agree with you if you tell me this is just the way my life has to be. It is so important for us to grasp this. We may be thinking you're doing, you know, you, you, you may be thinking that you're doing so much for your life. When it, but when it comes down to the value of what you're actually doing, we're probably hardly ever doing anything. The worst part about it is that we feel exhausted all the time. Listen, the only person that should be justified for being tired today is Alex. Because she works overnight. And you know what happened in her shift? When we all lost an hour while we were sleeping, she was working. Time just repeated itself, okay? She was working. It was 2 a.m. and all of a sudden, it's 1 a.m., okay? I'm just kidding, Alex. I'm sorry, Alex. She's like, I'm not coming back to this place ever again. <laughs> I, I read this book, and I, I only share this, guys. It, it, you know, if you have an opinion, I, I read a book that I think radically changed my life when it comes to this. The title of the book is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by James Mark Comer. And it literally changed the way I think about all these things because it made me realize that most of the time when I was rushing to something, I was rushing to become someone I didn't want to be. That I was speeding towards a goal, towards some kind of benchmark, and it was to become somebody I didn't want to be. When I was speeding, when I was racing, when I was thinking... It was to become the person that I didn't want to be. It was to meet a deadline that was not going to do anything for me. You know? One of the reasons why I like hunting is because of some of the reasons people don't like hunting. Because it forces me to slow down. It causes me to be quiet. To get on the deer stand, okay? And not talk to anybody. And not have the light on. And just sit there. And it's like therapeutic to me. Okay? Because I literally wake up early in the morning, I get my cup of coffee, I put on this backpack, I hike into my deer stand in the middle of the night with some weird looking red light, okay? I jump up, I sit there, and I just sit there in that deer stand. It's cold, you know, I'm tired, and it's just me and time. Some of us will say, that's boring, bro. I just can't do it. Four hours, what would I sit there for four hours for? Because we drive everything with that concept, you know? So if there's any question today, I would like to ask you this morning, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I living life this way? What is my end game to the things that I do on a daily basis? This passage, is we, the passage we read, Jesus enters into the village. Martha welcomes him to their house. The other sister, Mary, calm, cool, and collected again, sits at the feet of Jesus to listen to, the, to what the Bible says. Mary did this while the other sister, Martha, was distracted and, and doing much to serve, right? But in, 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 in her distraction and busyness, she misses, she does what many of us would do with our lives. When things get out of control and they get busy, she started to blame God. She said, don't you see? 
what's happening here? We tend to do the same thing. I tell you that your lack of time management is your fault because God gave us all the equivalent amount of it and you still take time out of your day to look at God and say, why do I have all these things? Why do I have to accomplish all of this? And we, and, and we make it about God not giving us enough time to accomplish the things that he wants us to accomplish. And we blame God for things that we're causing to ourselves. Jesus says in, in verse 41 to 42, but the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried about upset over all these details and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered and it will not be taken from her. Other translation says, but one thing is necessary, the Bible says. Friends, although active and practical service to God is essential and good, our first and most important priority is our love and devotion to Jesus, expressed simply in the time we spent with Him. You won't simplify your life by getting an electronic calendar. You won't simplify your life by quitting everything that you have tomorrow, okay? It's simply, it's really about choice, prioritizing what's important, and then sticking to those choices, no matter how tempting it may be to add something to the list. All right? You're so quiet. In other words, it's, it's not really about time in the first place. And the kids are having a blast, aren't they? I mean, I'm just, just going to go out and say it. I mean, I hear it. Listen, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to muddle through it, but it doesn't stop. The joy is real in there. <clears throat> it's not really about time in the first place. How long is our service here? An hour and a half at the most? You know, it's probably an hour and 15 minutes. You're like looking at me like, I don't know. It depends on you, bro. You know? <clears throat> so... <laughs> Did, did you know that church services in Haiti last anywhere from four to six hours? That most people actually walk to get there? Not only that, but they get to stand on a crowded area with no AC. In a building, okay? No coffee, no cookies, no tea, no donuts, no water. I mean, most people here in the States can't even deal. If I told you, hey, our services are going to be two hours, you'll be like, this church is just not for me and my family. <laughs> not only that, but the pressure to make people feel welcome, good, entertained is real in the American church. Can you picture yourself if I told you next week, hey, next week, we're going to have a four to six hour service. We're all going to have to walk an hour to get there. In an hour to get back. Who's with me? <laughs> Some of those faithful. I mean, I'll do it for a week, but after that, you're going to have to figure something out. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? I, I love the fact that the pastor from Haiti was asked, what is this difference? What, what, why does this happen? What makes the Haitian people stay and worship for so many hours? And I love his answer. He actually laughed and said, Haitians in Haiti, we don't, we don't have anything else to do. You're like, wow, what a bunch of losers. Oh, that's, that's super powerful. They didn't have television, radio, smartphones, laptops, YouTube, Netflix, Hulu. In other words, 
there wasn't much competition for God in their lives. I know that for them it may be an easier decision than it is for us to make. But man, if you want to know where to start with this thing, I think that most of us need to find a way to power down. To power down. Just turn it off. I know Psalms 23, 2 says, He lets me rest in green meadows. He lets me beside peaceful streams. Lamentations 3.26, so it is good to, stay, to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. Jesus is inviting us to get away with him to a quiet place where we can actually find rest with him. What does it look like for you to power down? Mark 6.31 says, Then Jesus said, Let's go off by ourselves. People come to a quiet place and rest a while. Why? He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. There's a huge contradiction here because we feel like the more we do, the more we're able to accomplish in God. The busiest we keep ourselves, the more we're able to do. And we have this tendency to think that more is better. Have you ever thought that maybe less is more sometimes? The Bible says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get t-shirts made for this. Because I need to look at this every day in the mirror and say this. Psalms 46.10, the top part of that verse says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. We look at life completely opposite of this. Right? When we need to develop our relationship with God, what do we say? We need to do more for God. You know what the solution to my life is? Is to get plugged in into a ministry and serve God. You know what I need to do more? Wake up earlier and pray a little bit more. You know what I need to do? Read his Bible in our life. God calls us to be still. Maybe, maybe we can't hear God because we're too loud. The Bible says that God hasn't really gone anywhere. The question is, are we still enough to receive anything? The Bible talks about a God that sits next to you and whispers. And I say to myself, how in the world could God whisper to me? The only way he could whisper to me is if he's sitting right next to me. So obviously we got a God that's present. So the only thing keeping us away from that encounter is that it is too busy and too loud. What if we gave the opportunity to eliminate God's competition in our lives as a test? If we just pull the plug, I, I dare you. We have become so obsessed with completion that we have become blinded to effectiveness. You think it's some funny exercise that I invented. That you're like, oh, Pastor Moises wants us to be better people. No, I believe that this is not just a simple exercise for us to become better people, but this is a requirement for our survival. It's time you and I pull the plug. Have you ever heard the story of Lazarus? He didn't just have a dear, uh, dear death, near-death experience. He died. First he was sick, then he passed away. He kicked the bucket. His sister washed his body, wrapped it in linen, 
Weeping, they laid his corpse in a cave tomb and leaned a flat stone across the opening of that tomb. People in the church love this story because of the outcome. Jesus looks like he arrived late. In fact, he arrived really late. He arrived four days later. But then Jesus arrives and Lazarus raises from the dead. And I wonder, I just wonder for a second, if we spend enough time thinking about the implications of our own lives and the excitement of the resurrection part of this story, we forget that you can't rise from the dead unless he or she is actually dead first. So I'm asking you this morning to just consider pulling the plug for just a second. There could be new life at the end of that. You may be trying to reset your life without actually hitting the reset button. In order for you to power back up, you're gonna have to power yourself down. What is one of the first things when you call IT support? What is the first thing they say to you? Have you turned it off, turn it off and turn it back on? <laughs> of course! <laughs> it's the most annoying thing IT people say, by the way. Just want to get that out there. But man, if it starts anywhere, it starts with the power down. If we want to fix our lives, it starts with the idea that I have to die in order to live. If it's not working, it's not working. Maybe you do have to hit the reset button. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Colossians 3.3 says, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden in Christ, with Christ in God. Man, the expectation is obvious. When Jesus invites us to follow him, it's an invitation for us to die to ourselves. Only when we die to ourselves can we truly, truly, truly follow him. This kind of surrender goes against every instinct we have because all we want to do is hold on, do it better, we can do it better. If we just do it for a little bit longer, I can figure it out. The circumstances around me will eventually change. Therefore, the way that I behave will change. Once I get the job, once I get the right schedule, once I'm able to pair myself up in the right position, then all these things circumstantially will change. But get this straight. It won't happen, man. It's like when you say, once I make 50 grand a year, I'll be set. And then you're like, once I make 60, I'll be set. You know, when we make 70, I think that's going to be the point. I just need 80, really. Now that we have kids, 100 will be nice. And it just keeps moving and moving. As God is saying, hey, listen, you just need to power down. So unplug for a second, hit the reset button, and actually take a willful decision in your life not just as a simple exercise that we take, but something we do because it is required for our survival. Amen? The solution is never more time. It's always more of what matters most. Amen? It's not more time. You will take 28 hours a day and do exactly with it what you're doing with 24 hours a day. It's not him. It's us.
Bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you give us this ability, Lord, to come to you and to learn from your word. That, Lord, maybe I'm, I'm only harsh on myself, God, because you're so good. And serving you just kind of creates this ultimate balance, God, that allows us to see things completely different. And I thank you that your word opens up this window that allows us to relate to people, that you're able to address us today for things with things that you've written, with stories that took place years ago, that we can still make adjustments to our lives. I thank you for the time that you give us because it is important. It is important how we serve you with it, how we live with it. God, I just pray that you would give us the spark that we need within inside all of us to maybe power down. So when we power back up, we do it for your glory. Our calendars are not gonna dictate who we are, God, and what we do. You will. Jesus, help us to be convicted about those things that must go. Don't think those things that have to stop, those things that have to be calibrated, God, and help us, help us. Busy is not who we are, God. That is not my identity. That is not who I'll be. I'm your servant. Help us, God, to live our lives under, the, under that parameter and glorify you in the process. Everyone will benefit from that, God. We thank you. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Give God praise this morning.